Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. My name is Brad. Uh, Wendy called me a month ago or so to ask me to fill in today. Um, I hope everybody had a good sit. I start right in. I need a couple minutes here to kind of readjust a little bit. So I was kind of the title here is the the Buddha's prescription for happiness. And uh, kind of good to examine how we go about trying to be happy. Let's see if we can chat up here a little bit. Um, a few notes here. I'm going to use, uh, you know, we have all kinds of outward happiness, especially uh, living in the United States, living in Southern California, you know, uh, just uh, pleasant experiences outside, food. We have beautiful weather for the most part, maybe a little rain sometimes, uh, beautiful weather, uh, music, sights and sounds. Uh, when I was putting this together, I think, you know, the stroll down Second Street in Belmont Shore, you know, you just, you know, you think about that, you have all kinds of food and music and sports and uh, um, all that goes on, right? But, you know, one of the central tenets of Buddhism is uh, things are impermanent, right? So we go out and we experience these things. I love beautiful food, you know, music, you know, but they, they come and they go. Um, and the Buddha said that if we put all of our time and energy into chasing these impermanent experiences, uh, it leads to a lot of kind of inner unease and restlessness, right? Because what happens when there's that blank spot? You know, <laughs> what happens when there isn't something pleasant out there? Uh, does the mind then begin to chase after it, chase after something to feel satisfied? Um, maybe you experience a little bit of that yourself. I don't, I don't know. I certainly have. You know, feel a little unease and I head for food or whatever, right? So the Buddha said there was uh, a different way, a middle way between this outward reaching for experience, uh, sensual pleasures, uh, and an inner happiness uh, that we can foster, cultivate, and acquire. Uh, and one of those was uh, obviously meditation. Here we are, we all practice this. We all practice meditation together here. Um, certainly you probably practice at home. Uh, and maybe you've experienced some of this yourself where, you know, you go into a sitting perhaps today and the mind is busy with thoughts, um, to-do lists, whatever it is. And then after a given amount of time, the mind begins to settle down, right? A certain measure of calm comes over the mind. Um, 
And that didn't rely on any kind of outward experience. It did not rely on any kind of outward experience. Uh, you set up causes and conditions, right? Perhaps the room was quiet. You've got cushions. You know how to sit well. You have a technique, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that was an inner, inner, inner experience. It wasn't predicated on anything outside of yourself. Uh, and with practice, and maybe you experienced this as well, when you sit, you can the hindrances, the classical hindrances in Buddhism, uh, can be put at bay for just for just that time period, for that time period. So, the restlessness, the sloth and torpor, these are the classic ones, right? Uh, the desire for things to be different, the aversion for things to be different as well, or just that overcoming doubt that. Uh, what you're doing on the cushion, right, or is uh, working. Uh, and then you, you sit for a while and pretty much those things kind of be put at bay, right? And if you really kind of, I can only do this on retreats, really, I can't do this on a daily basis, but the mind gets very, very quiet, very settled. Uh, and that's just through practice. And once again, that's that kind of that one point in this of attention. Uh, that comes about through practice. I'm sure you've experienced, many of you have experienced that. Um, so that's kind of the samadhi part of meditation, that one-pointedness. And the other sort of part of Vipassana meditation, anyway, is the, is the exploration of the various mind states that come up. Uh, so perhaps... You've got your attention settled a bit, and you begin to explore, uh, say, noises come by. Motorcycles roar by here on Broadway, right? And you get irritated or agitated. Uh, and turn the mind towards that agitation. Uh, and look at it. Uh, or you have certain kinds of mental habits that always you're constantly thinking about the future or there's anxiety or there's uh, regrets from the past. All those are fertile grounds for focusing your attention. And through that, you begin to get a handle on what makes up your mental world, what triggers you, if you will. And as those things come up, you become familiar with them. Uh, they have less hold over you. Uh, you begin to have less hold over you, not saying they're going away, but they, you have much more freedom from that. Uh, at least for me, that created a lot of more time when I could be content, more time when I could be peaceful. Um, think about anger. We all get angry, right? Uh, anybody notice with practice, you're angry? Not that you don't get angry, but the amount of time you're angry perhaps gets less lessened. Yeah. So one teacher called it the half-life of anger, right? <laughs> which I like. You know, the you know, someone cuts you off on whatever street doesn't take doesn't take much to get cut off in Long Beach. But anyway, anger arises. How long do you hold on to that for? Right? You know. Uh, so, so that's a fruit of practice, right? Mm -hmm that begins to lead to a certain amount of contentment, right? Uh, over time. 
Let me check my notes here. Is this sort of sounding familiar to some of you? I might sort of <laughs> sort of uh, reminding you of what's going on here. I think this is one of those kind of talks where you just kind of get reminded of what you already know. Okay. Uh, and if you think about um, being able to change how relate how you relate to your experience. One teacher said, you know, it's much, much easier to do that and change your outer outer world. When you think about how hard, we've all done this. We have to do it at times, right? You have to change your residence. You have to change your job, uh, relationships. It takes a lot of time and effort, right? And I'm not saying that uh, that's not necessary. Obviously, it is at times, but much, much easier through this practice to change the way you relate to your experience, right? It's portable, it's right here, it's more or less free. Uh, so something to think about. Uh, so meditation, one of the great ways to bring about some inner happiness. Uh, and uh, they, it's, so that's kind of a wisdom, the wisdom aspect of, of Buddhism. Um, and it said there's two wings to the Dharma or the truth of things, wisdom and compassion. And I'm going to segue compassion somewhat into, somewhat into gratitude, because I think they're kind of intertwined a little bit. So, um, I know that I, I gave this talk to Lamy's meditation, and I guess gratitude is a thing now, sort of a thing where, you know, it's on the internet. It's kind of like you wake up, write down a couple of things that you're, uh, you're grateful for, which I think is wonderful. I uh, you know the journaling and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I want to look at it just a little bit differently um, and just think in terms of. Well, in simple terms, you're here. You are aware. You are alive. Um, um, Jokai, who leads Long Beach Meditation, he says, one of the things he always says to me is, it's a mystery that there's anything at all. <laughs> you know, it's just, you, what, what is all this? It's this great mystery. But the thing about that is, uh, you and I get to experience it. We get to be aware. Uh, and maybe, you know, I don't know if you know, know about reincarnation or feel anything about it, but we only get a little spark, right? 60, 80, 90, 100 years if you're lucky. This is our time, right? To be aware of all this, this great mystery that surrounds us. Uh, and then we get to share all this mystery with other creatures, other beings. Um, I have a little, a little excerpt from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. He recently passed away. I'm sure most of you are familiar with him. Let me just read this. Let's see what it says. About 30 years ago, I was looking for an English word to describe our deep interconnection with everything else. I like the word togetherness. 
but I finally came up with the word interbeing. The verb to be can be misleading because we cannot be by ourselves alone. To be is always to interbe. If we combine the prefix inter with the verb to be, we have a new verb, interbe. To interbe and the action of interbeing reflects reality more accurately. We are with another and all with life. I like that. Can you handle another paragraph? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a biologist named Lewis Thomas, whose work I appreciate very much. He describes our human bodies as shared, rented, and occupied by countless other tiny organisms about whom we couldn't move a muscle, drum a finger, or think a thought. Our body is a community, and the trillions of non-human cells in our body are even more numerous than the human cells. Without them, we could not be here in this moment. Without them, we wouldn't be able to think, to feel, or to speak. There are, he says, no solitary beings. The whole planet is one giant living, breathing cell with all its working parts linked in symbiosis. I really like that, you know? Like we tend to, at least I do a lot of times, feel kind of isolated, you know, me against the world, you know, but uh, you kind of think about it, you know. Uh, we are alive in this huge living biosphere, I guess you could call it, than anything, right? And we interbe with all these other creatures. Um, then uh, something from the Buddha. How difficult it is to have a human incarnation. Imagine a vast ocean and a turtle is looking for a place to rest. It surfaces every 100 years to find one floating log in the middle of the ocean. That's how rare it is to be a human being. So you think about that, you know. Um, and uh, kind of makes me uh, once again grateful to be alive, great to be human. And then uh, I used to make my living as a high school social studies teacher, uh, San Pedro High School across the harbor. Yeah, that was my gig. 25 years there, or I'm retired now, but that was what I did in the middle school over there from their eight. But anyway, I got to teach an anthropology elective for many, many years. So we did the cultural and the physical anthropology. And usually the kids that took the class really liked it. We had a lot of fun, but um, it kind of, you know, I was studying, studying meditation, studying Buddhism at the time, and this pretty much most of my adult life. So kind of married the two together a little bit. I thought, you know, I could share a little bit with you. So 200,000, 200,000 years ago, anatomically modern humans emerged. Someone you recognize as being human uh, in Africa. Uh, and then about 75,000 years ago, we almost died out. 
it seemed like there was a major drought in Africa. And it's estimated there were only 10,000, either between 600 and 10,000 human adults left on the entire planet. So we went through a sort of a genetic bottleneck, if you will. So if you look around the room, these are all your relatives here. Uh, we're very close genetically because of that bottleneck we went through during that time period. Uh, and about, so we obviously survived. Uh, about 60,000 years ago, we migrated out of Africa began to populate the other continents. Uh, 12,000 years ago, we domesticated plants and animals, herding and agriculture. Um, 2,500 years ago was the time of the historical Buddha. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna skip ahead to quite a bit of history, but you probably know much of it. Uh, here we are, 2023, right? So, Think of what we have that our ancestors did not have. Uh, modern medicine. Um, just kind of coming through a pandemic. What would it have been like 200 years ago to go through that pandemic 100 years ago? Um, think of all this technology. Once again, hello, Zoom people. <laughs> Uh, I never even heard of the word Zoom before the pandemic, you know? <laughs> you know, obviously I had a computer and internet, but I didn't know anything about this. So, um, how wonderful that is. So, technology. Um, think about the high level of comfort we have compared to our ancestors. I'm sure many of you are mothers. Think about childhood, childbirth in the past, how different it was, right? And just that one idea what things are. Um, then we have access to all these knowledge and teachings, right? Uh, it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So hopefully that sparks a little bit of gratitude. Uh, <laughs> that when you think about it, right? Um, so out of gratitude, traditionally um, emerges joy. Um, in Pali language, <laughs> mudita, joy. Uh, and it's one of the four Brahma Viharas, uh, loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, and joy, right? So this feeling of gratitude can come joy. Uh, um, sometimes, I think it's through meditation, it's just that happiness of being alive, it's an inner joy that emerges that's not not contingent on outside circumstances. Uh, so I try to foster that a little bit in my own life, you know, notice when that's arising, what are the causes and conditions that, that, that made that joy, hadn't made that possible. Uh, 
certainly a well, decently lived, well-lived life, if you will. Moral life helps generosity, helping other people. But I think this practice, just plain old, yourself on the mat and practice meditation can bring about this inner joy. Now, it's not, it's not uh, contingent on causes and conditions outside, right? Uh, and also a certain measure of freedom that emerges from practice. Just playing a little garden variety of freedom. And I'm going to read you another little story. I hope you don't mind. Mm -hmm. This is a little different, but I really like this. Uh, talking about sort of this joy. So, with a big picture, life becomes play. You are eight years old. It is Sunday evening. You have been granted an extra hour before bed. The family is playing Monopoly. You have been told you are big enough to join them. You lose. You are losing continuously. Your stomach cramps with fear. The money pile in front of you is almost gone. Your brothers are snatching all the houses from your streets. <laughs> the last street is being sold. You have to give in, you have lost. And suddenly you know that it's only a game. You jump up with joy and you accidentally knock the lamp over. It falls on the floor and drags the teapot with it. The others are angry, but you laugh. And when you go upstairs, you know for what you have seen the joy of being nothing and having nothing. And knowing that gives you an immeasurable freedom. I really like that little story. The, I get caught up in life, you know, struggle with complications, you know. What is that from, by the way? You know, it, it was written by John Willem van Bietering. I'm sure I'm butchering the name. It must be Dutch yeah. or, or Belgian. Um, Zoom people, I don't know if you can see this. This is uh, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness and Peace by Jack Cornfield. So uh, he's got a lot of guided meditations in here, a lot of quotes and quotations of guided meditations. Um, I use them on my, my do the Wednesday night group that I have on Zoom. I do we do a half hour of mostly silent meditation like this, and then I'll do a guided meditation for 10, 12 minutes, sort of. So gratitude and joy. Um, let me just uh, see if I can find it. Things to be grateful for. Care and labor of a thousand generations of elders and ancestors have come before us. Mm -hmm. Gratitude for the safety and well-being that I have been given. Gratitude for the blessings of the earth that I have been given. Measure of health that I have been given. Family and friends that I have been given. 
Gratitude for the community I have been given. Gratitude for the teachings and lessons I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the life I have been given. So just some reflections, you know, um, things. Um, last thing I'll say here, um, happiness, uh, generosity. Um, Thank you for all showing up here and coming on Zoom. I'm sure that uh, you know we all benefited from each other. But one thing I like to reflect on another thing that Thich Nhat Han said: um, we're kind of waking up together. You know, so you know, maybe come into meditation because of some personal suffering and everything, and then things become a little clearer, and you start to have a sangha like this, a group, and. Uh, your generosity just for showing up and doing this practice uh we're leaving it for the future generations we're continuing on a tr ancient tradition and we're leaving it for future generations um and i think that's an act of generosity um, none of this would happen without all of us doing what we're doing here none of this these teachings would spread right uh and the more calmer, joyful, and wise you become, it spreads out from you, it ripples out from you, right? Um, I have a 22-year-old daughter, soon to be 23, and uh, you know, I'm sure my practice all these years, not that I'm the perfected human <laughs> being that I thought I would be, but it has certainly had an effect on her. And, uh, um, so I just put that out as generosity. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you can look into your own lives and see the same thing. Um, and then, of course, um, I'm sure that Inside LA Long Beach could use uh, monetary donations. I'm sure that uh, that's helpful. So I don't know how you guys handle all that, but uh, we usually make a Donna, Donna the generosity at the end of our talks just to... Uh, um, none of this could happen without a little bit of extra money, and I'm sure that running inside Long Beach aren't making a fortune off this at all. So <laughs> a lot of volunteer, a lot of generosity going into this. So uh, you can help out. I'm sure that would be great. So that's pretty much everything I wanted to say. Thank you for listening. And we have plenty of time for discussion, I understand. So anybody have any questions or comments or anything? To Discussion. Uh, I have a quick question, Brad. Um, I, this is my first time here, and your Wednesday group that you referred to is that through Insight or is that like a separate thing you run? Uh, Long Beach meditation. Long Beach. Okay. Yeah, Long Beach. We have two wonderful organizations here, so. Is that a different group from Inside LA? It is, yeah. I've never been. Yeah. So uh, it's been going, Long Beach Meditation has been going for 30 years. Oh, cool. So uh, the guiding teacher, Victor Bird, was working on his PhD and 
I don't know, therapy, psychology. I'm not exactly sure. So he started a group for a PhD project mm -hmm. and it was mostly Jungian psychology, I think. But then he would lead, do a little meditation. He's a very experienced med per meditative person. So then he started teaching the meditation then it morphed into Long Beach meditation. So it, uh, it's been around. I'm not trying to sell my organization to you, but like I say, we've been around for a while. We, you know, like you guys, we you know have to move around to different locations. We don't own the build. You know what I mean? We're in the church over there, in Toledo. But uh, it's an interesting organization. We're not. Two of the guiding teachers are Zen priests, and then another teacher is. Um, I studied Tibetan Buddhism quite a bit. So that's his kind of take. And then uh, Rosa, Maria, Rosa Maria, which you got, you know, Rosa Maria, she's more Vipassana. I'm more Vipassana, though I have some other influences too. So it's a real kind of eclectic mixture. And uh, we kind of like it that way. We don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> we find that to be refreshing <laughs> so, so anyway yeah so it's a different organization thank you yeah i don't know what i'm doing most of the time either so. right, right. <laughs> so um you know we zoom uh sunday afternoons at three there's a zoom and a in person at the church and then monday uh bronze Another teaching guide teacher. He runs a hybrid Monday night class, mostly guided meditations. So if you're not into talk talking meditations, mostly kind of beginner oriented, but he's got quite a following. People really love him. So all kinds of good stuff going on. Anybody else? Questions, comments? Uh, what's your personal background in meditation? Um you know, I was a typical screwed up teenager, you know, I grew up in Los Alamitos, Rossmore over here and, uh, you know, the typical stuff and um, was in college and, you know, got interested in all, you know, new agey kind of stuff. This is back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. So it was a long time ago and uh, uh, came across a really <laughs> sheer luck, um, a teacher at the college, his name was Jack Engler, that may ring a bell, I don't know if it does or not. He, he was, he went on to be a Harvard psychologist, but he taught this class, Psychology of Hindu and Buddhist Meditation. And then once a week, we would get together in the evenings and he would teach us how to meditate. And uh, so that was my introduction. And then I did my first retreat like 1984, a place called the Lama Foundation in New Mexico, 10 days. And oh man, I don't know if you got, maybe you perhaps done retreats. The first, remember the first one? <laughs> so I was young and then, but something, it was tough, 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 but something caught me on that, I think, right? Um, and so my 20s and 30s, I did a lot of retreats twice a year I would go. Like I said, I was a high school teacher, so I had a little more time than most people do. And things were much easier in those days. Mm -hmm. Cheaper. <laughs> much cheaper. You know, it's so. Um, and there used to be a newspaper that would come around 
uh, called The Inquiring Mind is before the internet. And uh, it was put out by a group in the Bay Area. There's a teacher that still teaches up there, Wes Nisker. He was the one, he was part of that. It was a very cool magazine. But in the back were the classifieds for all the retreats and you'd send them off a list, self-addressed stamped envelope inside. And then, and then that way you could go on these retreats. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, but they worked, you know? And then it, it was some of the luminaries. I sat with like Joseph Goldstein two or three times and Sharon Salzberg. And this is before even Spirit Rock was built. Uh, it was a place called the Angela Center in Santa Rosa. So I did that for a number of years. I don't know if you hear my life history here, but then you know, I got married and uh, had a child, and that kind of kind of sort of faded from practice for a while. You know, I, I did a little here and there, but it wasn't. And then uh, finally, I fifteen years ago, I said I should get back into this. That's when I joined Long Beach Meditation. You know, I started sitting and. Then, Victor was a good teacher, Victor Bird, you know, and uh, after two or three, Wendy was there, Bombay's meditation back in those days. And so after a while, Victor asked us to help out and teach Wendy and I. So we began to do that a little bit, which was terrifying. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but both for I've done a bit of guided meditation online. It is terrifying. Even online, it's it's really yeah 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 yeah. So yes, but kind of got over it. Um, and so we did that, and then you know, inside like inside LA came on came on the scene, and then uh, so Wendy and Casey said, "You just set this group up, right?" Yeah, so that's kind of a history of that. So, yeah, I think that's what a lot of the, the more conceptual versions of gratitude, gratitude practice, like writing things down, I think it's leading to what you're, what you're talking about, right? You know? um, have a, oh, I'm on my second dog now, anyway, in my neighborhood, right? The last 20 years, you know, you get up, they want to walk at dawn, you know, <laughs> but it's quiet, you know, that's kind of always kind of take a couple breaths and just settle the mind and body and just kind of try to bring that feeling up, you know, not overtly, but just, you know, and for me being in nature doesn't have to be much helps a lot for me just to feel that. So, um, Practice helps too, formal meditation. Yeah. I was gonna um, just the thought somebody posted, um, I think it was a member of the Sangha actually recently for Earth Day, um, this essay with a photo of Earth from NASA mm -hmm. photo, this where this tiny blue dot, right? And this is not anything new to anybody, but these kinds of things used to freak me out a little bit. Like when you think of where the earth is in this huge universe, and then we're this tiny little speck, and you think of our lifespan, like what's the point? You know, I would just get overwhelmed, like what what is the meaning, whatever. But now with the teachings, I've learned so much more to be like how rare it is, mm -hmm. right? That all the insects and all the animals and all the things that were born human. So I, I thank you for 
bringing that back and reminding me of the, uh, to be grateful for that rather than freaked out by uh, how, you know, minuscule, just overwhelming sometimes. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, like I said, at least for me, you know, you get to be alive. You know, I know it's it's hard. I'm not saying, you know, I'm sure we all have our struggles. I I certainly do, but you know, <laughs> and you get to be a human being, which you know, is, in the in the teachings, right, is quite rare. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and then all of, as I was kind of going through that little scenario about of all the times to be a human being. You are here now in 2023, uh, and I think that's special. Maybe, you know, I think life must have been a lot harder in the past. I, you know, that, you know, I'm sure many of you have been camping, but like it seems like it was one long extended camping trip. You know, for hunter gatherer peoples, I'm sure they were comfortable. You know, it was. I'm sure they. Suppose they didn't have to work as many hours as we did to support themselves, but I can't imagine it was simple. I mean, it wasn't, you know, not a flip of a switch for lights or heat or whatever, right? Or medicine or whatever. So we get to be here now. This time period. Oh. I think we have somebody online. Yes, sir. Uh, you're, I think you're muted. Uh, I think I just unmuted myself. Thank you for your talk. It was excellent. Yeah, you're um, you, you mentioned uh, the Buddha's prescription for ha happiness. And for me, one of the things that has led to me letting go of things that make me unhappy is, you know, learning to meditate and being able to see the impermanence of, you know, thoughts, feelings, and perceptions, everything coming and going and just kind of getting to a point where I could just watch that stuff without any attachment or aversion to it. And so it didn't lead to the same suffering that it, it initially did. Um, so that, that's been a wonderful part of uh, this whole experience, just learning to meditate and not feeling like you got to hold on to anything. Um, and I've kind of noticed that that uh, as time went on, my my identity went from the thoughts in my head, um, the experiences I was having, the problems I was having, to being able to step outside of those things. It's like your consciousness gets larger because you can watch these these things coming and going. Uh, and the bigger your consciousness gets, the smaller the problems seem. Um, and it just is such a wonderful gift that the Buddha has given to the world. I mean, there, there's so many problems and there's so many people holding on to so many opinions and fighting about so many things. But then there's also this, this ability to uh, be peaceful and to experience, you know, life in a different way. Um, you know, it, it's like you keep stepping back until it, at some point um, you can 
realize that you know we're we're such a small part of this universe, but we're also connected in interbeing. You know, the the heavy molecules that make up our bodies came from stars. Uh, the water that circulates in our body circulates in all of our bodies. You know, the sweat off my brow becomes a cloud, becomes rain, becomes fish and plants and animals. And, you know, we're sunlight. Um, the, the energy from the sun leads to plants that lead to animals that lead to humans. And we're, you know, Technahan said it better than anyone or, or better than I could ever say it. Uh, it's just, it's amazing um our oneness with this entire universe so i i actually don't look at myself as an insignificant speck as much as i look at myself as part of of this oneness and after this body is gone it'll still be here and it's been here for billions of years it's been a part of this huge amazing complicated um vast universe uh, so I'm just very appreciative for this practice, and I thank you for your talk. Thank you. Uh, wonderfully stated, wonderfully put, but thank you. Um, so the other side of this wisdom is compassion, right? Um, so as you become, we all become clear for ourselves, we, we then... Uh, can act in the world in that in a more compassionate manner, right? Since we're all all interrelated, you know, we learn to be more compassionate. Let me see if I can paraphrase. This is what just came to mind when you were speaking. I hope it's appropriate here. Um, mm -hmm. Joseph Goldstein, I was listening to an interview with him, a podcast kind of thing the other day. And he said he was on a self-retreat and he said, compassion is the work of emptiness. Meaning, since we're all interbeing and we don't exist as individual entities, we're all interrelated, interbeing, that once you become aware of that, wise to that, then your response to that is compassion. Mm -hmm. What can you do to help? What can, how do you make the world a better place? And his comment was, it doesn't have to be that, you know, like, rescuing the puppy dog from you know whatever it can be the simple kinds of gestures of compassion you know the you know opening the door for someone or whatever it is it's just that the wisdom mind then becomes a, the compassion becomes more available and more useful for others i really like that that's kind of what i'm sort of like you know call on if you will something to work on it's uh, that notion um, um. You know. Do you have any specific meditation tips for um, cultivating compassion? Yes. <laughs> care <to> care. <laughs> I use one in this book again uh, with with the Wednesday group, and uh, I just I can read you a couple lines from it. It's one sure. Yeah, I can get to it here. Uh, may I be held in compassion? May I be free from pain and sorrow? May I be at peace? You know, phrases to re repeat. Well, yeah, close to medic, yeah. 
from the heart. Exactly what compassion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then, framing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Then you could say, "May you be held in compassion." Someone you bring to mind, right? Mm-hmm. Starts easy to start with a loved one, someone you feel a lot of feelings for. May you be free from pain and sorrow. Maybe you be at peace. And you just you know, start with that, perhaps them first or a companion animal, if it really works well, your dog or cat or whatever. And then you bring that compassion back to the self. And then you just bring other beings into, you know, into. What about, um, what about if I'm having an anxiety trigger at the moment and uh, it's kind of hard to access those specific tools? You know, like uh, I can do it. But then there's a lot of pushback. From because, yourself, you mean? You mean? Yeah, for myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have an answer straight off the top of my head. Um, but approach these slowly, right? Right. Approach it slowly. Um, sounds like you are working with yourself a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and it doesn't have to, even sometimes like meta practice can feel kind of contrived. You know, loving kindness practice, it doesn't feel like it just doesn't, but it's still worth doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's bringing up more anxiety, you know, if you know, then maybe back off, you know what I'm saying? Right. But well, it's it's my main practice right now is meta. So, okay, I'm kind of all meta all the time. So, <laughs> it is getting it is getting sort of uh, like ingrained or sure, like diffused mm-hmm. into how I think. Mm-hmm. But then I still have these these really hard moments. So have meta for yourself for being a person who has hard movements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will get you just a second. Just one more thing. You know, sometimes see yourself step out of where you are right now and kind of imagine yourself as perhaps a child or you know and uh sort of innocence going through the child's going through hard times or something and, and kind of work with it that way a little bit right. um and uh, okay gave uh, gave me this practice is uh <coughs> when you're in meditation sort of be step outside of yourself and see yourself sitting or see yourself imagine yourself sitting because it kind of breaks that that spell of self a little bit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, or the or the 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 thing we kind of create that we are that's mm-hmm. ever changing. It's mm-hmm. you know, so uh, those are kind of interesting tips. So cool. Yeah, the child thing with the meta the child book with a difficult person sometimes mm-hmm. you have to kind of push that around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's uh, these are powerful techniques and teachings, right? So, you know, you know, I wouldn't, you know, you want to try to surf, you don't go out in the biggest wave, you can find it right away, right? You know, just, you know, kind of work with yourself, you know. So, you had a comment or question? We're well, just going to share um, a resource based off that. Um, a lot of people have heard of her name's Kristen Knapp. And she's an author and researcher, um, and she has a lot of information on mindful self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did a course on it a few months ago, and it's really helped me um, kind of cultivate more compassion for myself and others, and 
Um, there's so many practices you can do and kind of like mold the fit where you are. And just I found it really helpful. So bring it up here, find helpful. Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff. Yeah. N E F F. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Wendy teaches one Yeah. So, uh, I know a lot of us, at least me when I was younger, you know, I'm to be super meditator, you know, why is this one on the block or whatever? And then over the years, you, <laughs> it, you realize it's the compassion and the inner being that's the most important part, at least for me, you know. And, uh, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard when, you know, anyway, <laughs> self compassion. Yes, meta, a good either your whole practice or at least you know mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah, certainly. I flip between different practices, mm -hmm. so I kind of had the urge to try something else, and then I was like, no, I'm not done with meta yet. Yeah, it's got to you know. I signed up for a meta retreat at Spirit Rock one. Like 10 years, 15, a long time ago, probably 10, 15 years ago. Because it kind of fit my schedule and I could get in. It wasn't full. I'm like, well, I'll just give this a try. And I, I went away feeling like it was a miserable failure. Yeah, it's, it's just like phrase over and over again. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God. This is, uh, but it did. It, it sort of resonated over time, you know, it became part of my practice. But, uh, and then, you know. I like how. Um... I love how straightforward it is. All it is is simply repeating the, like these phrases over and over again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, there's just something so solid and reassuring about that, that just doing this, this simple thing over and over again will like uh, cause these um, changes to happen over time and just having faith that that will take place. You know? And the phrases are actually, you know, when I was just at the beginning when I was guiding or just talking a little bit about meditation, they're actually a way to concentrated states of mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this. After a while, the mind will settle and really get quiet through that repetitive, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be metta, but uh, and sometimes then it's good to let go of the phrases and just kind of be, you know, just say them very, very quietly, quiet, and just kind of be with that really quiet mind. Is it because that quiet mind is wonderful? <laughs> it's a fruit of practice, right? And it's for me, it's not always available. So, unless I'm on deep in retreat or something, so keep that in mind too. It's more of like being It can't, it gets to be, at least for me, it gets to be after a while. Um, um, and then, um, this has come up kind of recently, at least on the last kind of thing, teachings I was doing, um, you're letting go of the conceptual mind somewhat, and because uh, the conceptual mind, the thinking mind kind of settles down and you get used to, for lack of a better word, the intuitive mind begins to rise up, that inner knowing mind can rise up. And you can get, it takes a little while to get used to that actually, because we are so conceptually oriented. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, you know, I spent my whole 
35 year career teaching pounding kids with concepts and writing skills you know all this kind of stuff so i know what that's all about but underneath that is still that that old ancient intuitive mind that's there right uh, when the mind quiets down it's it, it comes up in its own way its own and it's, i think it's unique to everybody each person that sort of emerges their understanding emerges uh uniquely in every person that's what I like about poetry. Yeah. 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 It really does. Uh, yes, sir. Someone on Zoom. You know, one of the things that you were saying, uh, it, it seems like whatever technique you use, whether it's the breath or a mantra or koan um, or loving kindness, it always calms and focuses the mind and it cuts off attachment to thought because we get so narrow a focus by focusing with the conceptual mind uh, that we have a lot of suffering and attachment. And then it seems like, you know, when there's just bare attention, uh, when there's just letting go, um, we're, we're much more able to, um, let go of the fabricated self the there's just sound and then we realize that i hear is a separate thought and that we're just being uh instead of you know uh, this conceptual um uh, being that has all these attachments and all this suffering um when the thoughts are gone, you're just being, you know, you're just one. Um, and it's um, all of all of the different techniques seem to lead to the same wisdom and, and compassion. Um, you know, so it's just different roads to the same location or different doors into the same room. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that again. Yeah. Oh, I have one last story. So let me just bring it up with you. When I was probably three. Um, well, anyway, the, the health much I go into. This. So the Buddha, the story of the Buddha, right? He he practiced all of these, um, what you call it? Thank you. The austerities and all this really you know, samadhi practices and he wasn't getting where he wanted to be. Uh, uh, and then he remembered back to when he was a child. I don't know if you've heard this story before. Yeah. And uh, he was spontaneously as a young man was in the, one of the first jhanas they call it, just spontaneously as a young man, which was his father was out doing a ritual plowing the fields. Uh, uh, there was this prince or king um, and he remembered that and so he used that joy he said i can't these austerities this type of practice not working i'm going to go down this road right and part of that road was that what i think what you both are speaking to right that joy um is that, that happiness that comes from so when i was about three i remember my parents put me in this sort of cradle thing i was at my grandmother's house grandparents house and they used to, they used to say the lord's prayer over me you know and uh they did that and they kissed me good night but this uh was in arcadia and there was just crickets mm -hmm. and, uh, they were just singing to me these crickets 
and then uh, I was just the happiest little guy, you know, I probably drifted off to sleep. So that's kind of my story that's similar to, you know, the Buddha story, like, okay, but this, this is, this is the kind of happiness that we all want, or I want anyway, anyway, that's kind of my yeah 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 and, uh, we can touch into that even though we're adults right so so any last comments we're almost at 11 30 here we got a minute left oh thank you appreciate it yeah you can't change your external. You can, you, you can only change the external world so much. Right. You might get all. Oh, stop teaching. You might get all the pieces of your world set up, and then change happens, right? Yeah. And then you guys work on it. You know, if that's where you put all your energy, then change happens. You know, and then you're constantly seeking outside. Yeah. So obviously, there's a balance. Never. So I like to end with a little meta. Is that what you? I have just like four phrases. They're very simple. We can end on that note. May all beings be free from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be strong in mind and body. May all beings have a joyful ease of existence. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been well, wonderful. I love hearing people say those phrases out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Bye bye, everybody on Zoom. Thank you. Thank you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.